0: So, my name is Pip, real pleasure to be here with you. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're gonna be looking at First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13 through 25. So, First Peter uh, 1, 13 through 25. So, if you don't have a Bible already, you can pull one, it right, should be right in front of you in the pew. All right, I'm gonna read it. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable, the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So I'm really excited to be here. Really excited to be looking at this book with you together. It's an amazing book, and as with and this is like a big, like a fairly significant chunk of scripture. Like there's a lot in it, and God's word is inestimably rich. It's like going to a mine with like endless deposits. So we'll focus on some today, but I encourage you to keep going back, keep reading this passage over the week. Like keep going back to the mind yourself. It's inexhaustible because its author is infinite and he loves you. You know, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling. The Bible is unlike any other book for, for many reasons, but one of which is that when you're reading it, the author is like right there with you as you read and he can help you understand. I almost think of it as like a kid uh, with, with his or her father and the, like reading a children's book that the father actually wrote. And like if the kid has questions, can be like, oh, what about this? I don't understand this. The father's there to help you along as you're reading. Um, so. I'm going to pray before we dive in, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. Thank you that your word is precious. We can like, we can take it for granted, but I've just been thinking lately about how rich the Bible is. So I just pray that as I'm speaking, Lord, that um, any just things that are just me would just fall away, and the things that you want people to hear would stick with them. Even just, there's a lot of content here, and I just pray that even as people are listening, maybe not everything like resonates. but that you would bring some particular things to bear on their hearts and on their minds. Just encourage those who need encouragement, convict those who need conviction. Lord, we just pray that you would work, and we trust that you are here speaking to us. So I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 13 starts off saying, therefore, and it's, it's picking up from the previous uh, 12 verses of the chapter, which start off basically with a beautiful picture of the incredible hope we've been born again to as Christians, an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So to, this book, it talks about going through trials, but with a focus on this incredible glorious salvation from Christ that we have as Christians. So in light of these things, Peter's gonna talk about what this glorious salvation, what this actually means for our lives now. So again, so many riches in this passage, and I just, it was almost hard to like trim it down to like focus. Uh, But specifically, uh, I wanna focus on some specific themes, remembering the story we're a part of, knowing who we are in the story, and living accordingly. So that's remembering the story we're a part of, knowing who we are in the story, and living accordingly. So, first part, remember the story you're a part of. Uh, In verse 13 it says, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are so many things in this world, in this town specifically even, calling us to set our hope on them. You know, all of us are living by a story of sorts. I mean, human beings were like made for stories and again, so many different stories out there, these endless varieties of narratives. And the big story, like the main narrative of what you believe, what your hope is actually set on, that reflects what you think is most important about life and about you and it shapes the way you live. Whatever your hope is, whatever you think is most important there your heart is going to be focused. And you know, we all have different narratives that we're like drawn to, like different kind of uh, varieties or flavors. You know, for some of us, it might be just like uh, the controlling narrative, the primary story, maybe about just like seeking wealth for consolidating fortune. Maybe somebody who like grew up poor and just said to themselves, I'm not going to experience this anymore. And their main focus is like amassing wealth and finding safety in that. That's what their hope is in. For other people, it might be like seeking the respect of others. Maybe. That is something they felt a deficit on in, in their own lives and like, this is going to be my primary thing. Maybe like seeking the approval of parents who never showed you approval or seeking to achieve like a certain physical peak or a certain financial peak or seeking to maximize pleasure, sexual pleasure, seeking like fulfillment in relationships, whether that's dating or community, just people wanting to be a big man, you know, like wanting people to look, look and be like, oh, that, that person's got it all together. Uh, seeking artistic greatness—that would be a good, a big one in Portland—and that, for me, being creatively inclined, that is the one growing up that I like latched onto and was drawn to, like finding my my ultimate fulfillment, like feeling a pull towards finding it in like being an artist. Not even that I'm a great artist, but that's what I kind of glommed onto. So we have all these stories we live by, but really, there's only two stories. There's like ultimately only two stories. There's a man-made stories we made make up which are futile, which we'll talk about more. Uh, Spoiler alert. Uh, And there's the story of the good, loving, and holy God who made the universe. So the Bible actually contains a true story of the world. And that's a story about God, and it tells us the story of humanity collectively, and actually of each of us, of you specifically sitting in the pew right now, uh, or listening at home. It tells our story, and we're invited to be part of that story, and to make that story our own. So, what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna do a quick flyover of the Bible. I'm just like, try to distill, uh, distill the narrative to some extent. So, obviously there's gonna be so many things I'm gonna omit because it is a big book full of so much nuance and richness, but we're gonna do a flyover, so buckle up. Eden to Revelation. So, the start of the Bible shows God making a very good world. And we see the first human beings placed in the Garden of Eden. They have peace with one another and peace with God in a world without sin or death. And then human beings rebel against him. That that rebellion, that first sin, is known as the fall. And that sin, not doing things God's ways, that ruins everything because everything God made is connected to God. So when our relationship to him is sundered, everything else is affected. That's why the world is broken. That's why, for all of us, there's just things all around us that we know should not be, whether that's war, or a kid dying of cancer, or our own propensity to self-destructive behaviors, or like, just addictions, hurting others, whatever it is. Uh, Now, God is holy, and sin is rebellion against that holy God, but in his mercy, he doesn't just wipe out humanity or just give up, be like, "Uh, you're toast, I'm done. Instead, he actually enters into the life of the world, and we see that in the Bible initially through a series of people in Genesis, and then with his people Israel, and then finally sending a savior for the whole world, Jesus. And Jesus, God's own son, God himself, a member of the Trinity, he lives the perfect death, he's holy, without sin, he dies for our sins on the cross, and he rises from the dead, and he's now in heaven at the right hand of his Father, and he is proclaiming, through his spirit, through us even, in the world, he is proclaiming the good news, that's what the word gospel actually means, good news, he's proclaiming his good news to the whole world that everyone can be forgiven, brought into right relationship with him by placing faith in Jesus. So, the Bible tells us Jesus is Lord of the world, and that one day he'll actually return and judge the world. For those who reject him that means eternal punishment and that is very sobering to hear that's not something that's like a word we use as like a bludgeon for people rather it's like something we beg people come to know jesus he loves you it's in the bible so we need to talk about it and for those who love him eternal life so jesus return means final justice and redemption and a new heavens and a new earth things are renewed for all who place faith in him We're going to live in the peace and the unity and the joy and the health that we long for that we know inside of us we're actually built for. So that is a story we are invited into, and it's a good story. It's a story of a God who really, 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 really loves you. He really, really, really loves you. Not because he, like, has to, like, it's just like like an obligatory thing, but because he actually loves you. Like, sit on that. So... Placing our hope in this story in Jesus, finding our lives in this big story, this is something we all need to be like perpetually reminded to, because honestly, it's like very tempting to get like drunk on what's around us, on all these different other stories that are pulling to us, all these various stories that are on off- offer, because we all feel the pulls to different stories. Like the story you feel a pull to might not be the story that I feel a pull to, but I feel a pull to like some off-brand stories as well, you know? Uh, you know, as I, I kind of mentioned at the start like... I felt a pull towards like, oh, my, my identity is in like what I make creatively. And the Lord's like very graciously like unentwined that narrative and showed me like, no, like making stuff, I still want to make st- like beautiful stuff, but it's like as a joyous like response to who he is. It's like childlike play. It's not me earning my identity, which is good news. So this takes us into knowing who we are in the story. Knowing who we are in the story. So verse 18 through 19 says knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Ransomed, we are ransomed, that word right there, um, or in some translations, redeemed. So, we talked about, in the biblical storyline, the main problem for humanity, the source from which all other problems st- stem, like the issue underneath all the other issues, is sin. And that's where war, disease, death, pain, sorrow, relational chaos, loneliness, all those things come from that. Sin is rebellion against God, doing things our way instead of God's ways. And if sin is disease, then the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that's a declaration of a cure. So in the Old Testament, there were sacrifices for sin made with animals. And that's why there's a reference here to Jesus being like a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus was sinless and pure and holy and was the ultimate atoning sacrifice for sin once for all. So we were against God, but Jesus died to bring reconciliation. We were sinners, but Jesus makes us saints, holy ones. So this, this verse here is saying, you know, consider how you're ransomed. Jesus shed his blood for you. We, it's, like, it's like we're in court. We're just like in court, totally guilty, and Jesus, innocent and holy, Steps up and says, Sentence me to death and said, He took the sentence for us. He brought redemption. But it is not just that He wipes the slate clean and then it's just like, Well, you're on your own. Try not to sin again. Good luck with that. That's not the reality. You know, I, so I, I gave my life to the Lord when I was a little kid, like, man, I feel like I was like four or five. I remember my dad and I, like, washing the car and my, well, probably my dad washing the car and me helping. Uh, And then He told me about, I remember Him telling me about Adam and Eve, it's a little blurry, but, Gave my life to the Lord at that age. I got like really serious about it when I was like 16 or 17, but in any case, grew up knowing the Lord. But one of the things about being a Christian that is so beautiful and exciting is that you're continually learning. There's continually kind of new things that blow your mind. Life is hard, but the Lord is like sweet to continually reveal how good He is. And so one of the most mind-blowing things I've learned in the last 10 years of following Jesus has been focusing on identity in Christ. This concept of identity in Christ. So We aren't just like saved from sin. It's not like we're just like freed from jail and then just like, well, you're alone again. Figure it out. We're not, that's not the reality. We're actually given so much. God gives us a new identity and we're called to live out of that new identity. So we experience what theologians call union with Christ. We are made one with him. We like joined to him. We're bound to him. It's like he's given us, we're invited into a family. It's almost like he's given us his passport to be a citizen of a new homeland, heaven. So, Not only are we forgiven sin, but instead of being a sinner, I'm called a saint, which means Holy One. And I'm not a saint because I am so good, because I'm not. I'm a saint because God is so good, because Jesus is so good, and I'm in Christ. I've given myself to him. I belong to him. So when you become a Christian, you're given the status of being justified, righteous, you're no longer under the condemnation of sin. You're a beloved child of God. You enter into a family. You have the privileges of a son of God, access to the Father, an eternal place with him. His love and care are upon you. And that happens as soon as you become a Christian. It's by faith. You're declared righteous and forgiven in all these things simply because you have placed faith in Jesus and you're his now. When you say, Jesus, I belong to you, it's like he gives you a robe and a crown and his whole status as a righteous son of the king. Um, That's yours now. You belong to him. And in fact, he actually puts his Holy Spirit in you. The scripture talks about the Holy Spirit being like a seal upon us. And just think about that. The God of the universe dwelling within you, setting his seal on you. You are greatly beloved. You are greatly beloved. Of course, the question is, do we let him guide us? Do we ask his spirit to actually like, have control and show us how we are supposed to live? More and more, becoming more like him. So, uh, verse 23 to 25, we're told to love one another. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, to become a Christian is to be born again to receive new life. And by contrast here, the passage talks about the glory of flesh, the glory of our perishable flesh, being like the flower of grass. You know, right now it's like the time of summer uh, in Portland where the grass starts to get, like, scorched and die. I look at my lawn, it's like, a, it's like a grass cemetery. And it's weird, like, watching the seasons, as we all do through our lives, watching the seasons play out, because it's kind of like a, a microcosmic picture of our lives. There's, like, sp- in spring, there's growth and new life. It flourishes in summer, and then dies in autumn and winter. And our own bodies are like that. Um, There's this concept called memento mori, it's Latin, but it basically means remember that you're gonna die. It's a term that's used a lot in art history, but it's, uh, I feel like it was especially popular uh, during medieval times, not the pizza restaurant, but the actual medieval times. Um, And you know, it's not something we like to think deeply about in our society, we're like really insulated from death. I mean, I just think like, I've seen a dead body, like a dead human body, I think once. And you think of just like, through all history and a different actual, like, Countries today how often people would have seen dead bodies. But we're in, insulated from it in a lot of ways. And people say like, oh, death is a part of life. It's like the circle of life. It is so beautiful. We die and fertilize the soil and then we eat the food that grows from the soil and we grow and it's, it's beautiful. But I think in our heart of hearts we know that's not actually true. Because if we die and that's it, life is not beautiful. Death instead is just like this ever-present character just waiting to claim us. You know, just like you think of at a family party or just like a house party, hanging out with friends, just having a great time or like outside of preschool. Death is just there waiting to claim us and that's it. That's a horror film. That's terrible. You know, there's this band called Mogwai who has this song called uh, Kids Will Be Skeletons. And I remember listening to that. But I tell you what, when you actually have a kid, it sure hits different. It hits different. Kids will be skeletons. And you think about your best friends, your family, all of us sitting here, if one day we're just destined to rot in the ground, it makes you feel kind of sick inside, and it should because it's not what we're meant for. And I think we know that in our heart of hearts, all of us. Even if we, somebody does believe, oh, this life is it, in your, their heart of hearts, I think they know there's something wrong with the idea of just, we die, we rot, that's it, end of story, we were made for more. And in fact, the Bible says we were all made in the image of God, all of us, every single human being made in the image of God. And we were intended for more than being mere worm food, that's why we need to be born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-two. It says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You know, Jesus came to bring eternal life, to ransom us from the sentence of death and hell and the captivity of sil- sin, and one day death will be done away for the believer It doesn't mean we won't die because unless the Lord returns, I am pretty sure all of us will die. Pretty sure. But it means death doesn't have the last word for we'll be resurrected. We're actually told we'll have bodies that won't perish. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Think of flesh as grass and I think of like that expanded in a bigger vision like the futility of the world, just the cycles of history playing over and over and over, nations rising and falling. Even just think of like in our lives how many like companies and like dumb social networks arise and then just go down and they seem impregnable and they're like so strong and they're going to last forever and then they're just gone. You know, you even just think of like, man, think of mall chains. Like I've had so many conversations with friends recently about just like, oh yeah, remember like what the old Banana Republic was like? Or remember, you know, remember these chains, man, like uh, Walden books. I'm thinking of just bookstores because that's primarily what I care about. Crown books. You think of all these things, these big companies that rise and then they're gone. And nations are like that. Everything is like that except for Jesus. Things rise and fall and they go away. But God's word stands outside all that. The Bible, what God says about us, is gonna last. Even when this society is long gone and countries that exist now are no longer countries, God's word will still be God's word. And he says he'll take care of us. He loves us. We're promised a destiny of eternal family, eternal joy, eternal goodness, being with the Lord who loves us. Verse 17. It says, conduct yourselves without fear throughout the time of your exile. And I wanna zoom in on that specific phrase, throughout the time of your exile. So a recurring theme actually in this letter is the theme of exile, of sojourning, of being a people. Uh, And Peter actually starts off addressing this letter uh, to the elect exiles. Now, we talked about it last week, Ian talked about it. This was written specifically to the dispersion, a specific group of people who were dispersed from a specific place. But in a broader sense, all of us here are exiles. We're all exiles on this earth because if you believe in Jesus, you have a heavenly citizenship. The way this world currently is is not our home. Uh, Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to have a heavenly citizenship? Uh, Being a citizen, you think about that phrase. It refers to where you actually belong where your homeland is, and you think of citizens abroad, they're representative, to some degree, of the place they're from, whether they have maybe an accent, they dress differently, have some different cultural norms from the place they're currently sojourning. So, side, sidebar, my grandfather, whose name was Philip, I'm actually named after him, my, name is, my real name's Philip, Pip is short for that, uh, which, shocking revelation, I wonder if everything's gonna leave. Um, uh, but Philip, he was Australian, He was an interesting guy. I only met him when I was a baby and I do not remember it, but he fought Nazis in World War II. He was actually in a prisoner of war camp that that movie Great Escape with Steve McQueen is about. So he was involved with that escape, though he didn't actually escape. Uh, Fascinating guy. I guess I recently found out that he dated an actress, Maureen O'Hara, I think it was, which blew my mind. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But later in life, he was an ambassador for Australia in like Hong Kong, LA, Tokyo, India, all over the place. Going to these places, representing, this is what an Australian is like. He was representing his homeland. And in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, we're called ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Our lives are supposed to reflect who we are and what homeland we're citizens of. And we're citizens of heaven. It's who we are. And we're supposed to be like living signs for what God's kingdom is like, for who God is. You know, speaking of that, being a sign in a place that points people to something beyond the walls of this world. I always remember, man, you ever have one of those professors in college who is like, or, or teachers in high school or whatever, who was just like a cypher, like they had just that it factor, you're like, what is that? I want to know more about that person, he's a mysterious dude. So there's one professor like that that I took, uh, specifically his name was Professor Richards. He was a philosophy professor, which checks out. Uh, And he, I remember one time him talking about when he was a kid, he had these like wild stories, he said he would, or when he was a teenager, they would get junk cars and outfit them with like roll cages and just go on these mountain highways and take them super fast so they would like careen off the side and just get all smashed up but they had a roll cage, they were fine. So that's just one of those things he just threw out that story and I remember like, a guy, there are like legends around him. Like there's a guy, I remember talking about like, oh yeah, somebody followed him home to figure out where he lives. Somebody else was like, oh, I, I saw him in a gardening magazine. He has like an award-winning garden. Anyway, fascinating dude, very mysterious dude. And he always like kept what he actually believed like very close to the chest. I don't actually know necessarily what he believed in, but I, I, I almost feel like, oops, I almost feel like, I think he was a Christian. I remember somebody saying he's either Christian or he's like a Nazi or a fascist. He was a very, <laughs> He was a very mysterious guy. He didn't tell you what he actually believed but just like threw out these ideas. Anyway, I always just remember this story. I got the feeling that he, le- he led a pretty wild life at one point and I always remember him saying that he basically hit rock bottom and he ended up in this sleazy hotel room, uh, like just rock bottom, not safe. And I think he said it was super hot, like blazing hot. So he's lying on his bed in this hotel room and I think it's just life had just bottomed out. He's lying there, and then he had the door open because it was so hot, and he said through the door he could see this family there, and they, also, like, they were clearly like, not financially doing well because they were in this like, sleazoid hotel, but he said he was like, looking over at them, and he saw the parents with their kids praying with them, like, just like, I guess it was like a goodnight prayer or something, I envisioned them just like, kneeling down as a family at the bed. But he said he saw them, and in that moment he realized they had something he did not. He was like rock-bottom, and they had, there was something about them. There was something, I would say, imperishable amidst all this like, this, this perishable world. And it stuck out to him. And it, it sounds like he was like haunted by it. He didn't, again, didn't share much of his life. I don't know how that contributed to his journey or whatever, but I often think about that, like being people who people see and like, "Oh, there's something imperishable about that person. They bespeak, their lives bespeak of a different homeland. Which leads us to how do we live accordingly? How do we live in light of all these things? So one thing, verse 13 says, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, First uh, Thessalonians talks about, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Jesus is king, he's coming back, And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. History is full of darkness, but a dawn is coming, which will be more beautiful than we could even dream. And we're called to put our whole hope in that, our ultimate hope in that, not to get seduced into putting our hope in ourselves or little side stories or our possessions or things or people other than God. Our ultimate hope is to be in the Lord. And that doesn't mean, I want to be very clear, that doesn't mean that we don't enjoy the good things in life. That doesn't mean just like, well, everything's going to perish, so I'm just going to ignore it or just like, Hate it. I hate everything that's around me. and That's not what it says. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from God and that we're gonna enjoy good things with thanksgiving, but it means we, but it does mean that we place our everything in the Lord and make him the number number one and we enjoy those things in him because we are citizens from heaven. Remember our true homeland. Remember whose you are. Verse 14 through 16 says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy, or I'm sorry, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And we're also told in verse 17, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed, saying knowing that you're ransomed with the blood of Christ. And I really wanna take a little bit of time to examine this because this is a topic that I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about and I just wanna make sure I'm clear and I'm like faithful here and you hear what, the, what scripture actually teaches. So, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's a callback to the book of Leviticus when God was giving his law to his people Israel. And holiness is a concept that comes up again and again in the Bible right from Genesis. So the question is, what is holiness? Uh, In the ESV translation of the Bible, there's like some notes and one of them defines it as holiness, as a quality possessed by something or someone set apart for special use. When applied to God, it refers to his utter perfection and complete transcendence over creation, God's people are called to imitate his holiness, which means being set apart from sin and rever- reserved for his purposes. So God is morally perfect. There's no sin whatsoever and he is holiness and we're called to holiness. When we're called to that, it means to be like him, to be set apart, untainted by sin, morally pure. And you know, when we talk about these things and sin and the way the world like, distorts our perceptions, holiness is one of those, con- those concepts that gets distorted in our minds, which is why we need to keep going back to the Bible to see what the story actually is. And it's, it's weird, in, even as I was preparing this, I was thinking about like the idea of holiness or even just like the holiness of God. And I was thinking how weird is it that we live in a culture, just Western culture in general, where we reach for like holy words, like the name of God in irreverent ways. Like you think somebody just, somebody walks in with like a cool hat and somebody says, oh my God. Or maybe they walk in with a super ugly hat <laughs> and they say, that, say the same. Or like the ways like we just like take Jesus' name, like think of the times people like, yell Jesus' name. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It's just like, oh, I stubbed my toe. And it's, it's just weird to me to think, oh, we like reach for those things. We reach for these like biblical terms as just like kind of like a shorthand for frustration. It's, a, it's just strange. Honestly, I think it's a very strange default to think about. Um, and when we think of holiness in our culture, we often think of just like stuffy, stodgy, uptight, joyless. You know, maybe as soon as you hear this, you feel just like a ton of guilt the phrase, holiness, just a ton of guilt comes down on you. And you think of some just like uptight religious character from a film who's going around putting a guilt trip on people for like eating a good meal or like laughing or enjoying sunshine. Uh, you know, you just think of films where somebody's like, oh, it's a beautiful day. Somebody's like, hey, it's the Sabbath. Stop. So whenever we talk about holiness, we have to remember who is God. Like if being holy is being like God, who is God? And Uh, A really wise pastor once told me that when I was wrestling with like a particular theological issue said, when you're wrestling with things, consider the character of God. And when you're wrestling with anything in life, in scripture, just consider that. Who is the Lord? And you know, right now if that's you and you're like, I'm wrestling with something, I would encourage you like, man, read Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is just this beautiful reminder of who the Lord is and how good he is. Um, So if you find yourself thinking holiness sounds bland or like uptight, I think it's good to just like and it's very tempting, we all fall prey to that. It's like this pull for all of us to think like, oh yeah, holiness is actually a bad thing. Consider who God is and th- consider what he made. You know, recently I was reading this book of, uh, with my, I have a three year old kid, and he and I were looking at this book of, uh, just like animals, like the animal kingdom. It's like a book from the 70s, so it's got like that perfect kind of 70s grain on the photos. And there were so many things in there that I had never seen before, or at least I don't remember ever seeing. Uh, and just like mind-shattering variety and beauty. Like both of you are like, whoa, that's real? That's crazy. You think about that, like we're talking about the God who made all of that, who made like the Grand Canyon, the Gorge, who made all those wild creatures that live at the bottom of the sea that no one's ever seen, who made like rainbows, who made the way that food tastes on your tongue and your ability for your tongues to taste it. I mean, you ever think of like, God could have made food without taste, where you just eat something that's like, well, I have energy. I'll keep going along. But God made it so food actually has a taste, and that tells us something about God's goodness. Uh, I mean, even right now, I am talking, I'm making sounds with my, my throat and my mouth, and it's going into your brain, and you're translating into abstract thoughts. So my thoughts are coming out, coming out my mouth and going into your mind, That is wild. Like you just kind of think about reality is wild. Like actual life is wild. And this is the God who invented sex, who invented marriage and feeling happy and like laughter and friendship and running and skipping and jumping and dancing and listening to music, all these good things. When we talk about holiness, we're talking about that God. We're not talking about like an uptight God who's just like a killjoy. You know, there's like this idea that God or holiness or Christians, it's a very prevalent idea. We all feel the pull of it, are like anti-fun or something. And of course, some Christians have sadly contributed to those stereotypes. And if you've experienced like, some sort of weird distortion of who Jesus is, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. But the Bible actually says that God invented pleasure and we're destined for an eternity of joy and a new heavens and a new earth. You know, When the Bible, it's helpful to clarify, when the Bible talks about like, not giving into the desires of the flesh, it's not saying like, the desire for food or physical pleasure or like, even like, like sex or any of these things are bad. It's saying don't follow your passions outside of the Lord on his design. You know, even just like there's this culturally prevalent idea that Christians are uptight about sex or Christians think that sex is bad. But like I said, God invented it. It's how everybody here came to exist. It's just the reality, right? There's an entire book of the Bible filled with love poetry that talks about how beautiful intimacy it is. It's a good gift. And the vision of biblical sexuality within marriage is like, I would say, is like extravagantly beautiful. But in our minds, we can just think, oh, holiness, bad. Like, holiness is like an uptight thing. But this is the God who made all this. Holiness is not bland. And if you want to see what holiness looks like in a human life, look to Jesus. He's good, he's comforting, he's strong, he's pure and challenging and brave and not boring at all and unflinching in truthfulness. And holiness is emulating Jesus, it's being like him. He shows us what it looks like to be holiness, to be human the way we're meant to be human. Verse 14 here says, as obedient children. And it's just interesting, I was thinking about, in our society we think of obedience as being weak. Like that is not a compliment generally. Like, hey, you're, you're so obedient. People are like, oh, don't put that on me. You know, we live in a society that like valorizes rebellion in so many ways and glorifies not being obedient. I mean, think how many heroes in movies are like, he's a tough guy who doesn't play by the rules. You know, and I was thinking about like, think of James Bond off duty. He's a womanizer. He's like probably an alcoholic. He's probably killed some people he shouldn't have killed. He's probably not a great dad or a great husband or a great neighbor or a great friend. And, you know, you contrast that to Jesus, like obedient. Jesus was obedient to his father. Jesus is a picture of obedience. And that obedience was not weakness, it was a stronger strength than anybody else in human history. So, being obedient children, that means being like Jesus. So, we're gonna fly through a few things that being holy, that pursuing holiness is not. It is not thinking better. we're better than others. Absolutely not. It's not thinking we're self-sufficient. It's not pretending we have it all together. It's not avoiding non-Christians. Paul specifically talks about that in 1 Corinthians 5. It's absolutely not that, absolutely not. It's not lowering the bar on holiness. It's not like deciding, well, what scripture says is sin isn't really sin. Because Jesus didn't come to say, hey, it doesn't matter what you do. Jesus came to do what we could not do for ourselves so we could be like him and with him. Uh, It's not pretending we don't sin anymore. First John uh, very clearly talks to this. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's this phrase you may have heard of, sanctification, and it means growing in holiness as you follow Jesus. And it's a process by his spirit, by his power, his way and we're imperfect we're all going to stumble we're all going to sing along the way while we're in this life but our identity in him is secure because we've been declared righteous in Jesus so we confess our sin and press forward and that's actually freeing so we talked about identity in Christ remember that identity in Christ God is holy and he gives us a new identity of holiness and we live out of that as a result so to be very clear Is Peter saying be holy as a way of like earning the Lord's favor, or earning his grace, or earning our status as forgiven, justified, beloved children of God? No, 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 no. That's absolutely not. Being holy isn't relying on our own performance, it's about relying on Jesus. Our obedience to him is a response to his goodness, to the, the identities given us. The whole message of the New Testament is we cannot fix ourselves, we cannot cleanse ourselves, we can't earn God's grace. We need him. And actually trying to earn God's grace is actually like working against God's grace. You can't re-earn what's already given. And it's not like when you sin, all of a sudden you're like not a Christian, you're out. It's that when we sin, we're real about it, right? We repent and confess and continually embrace the beautiful identity we have in Jesus. And one more point I want to make about holiness is if you're not a Christian and you're hearing this, like holiness is not saying get cleaned up before you come to church. Absolutely not. Absolutely not, that can like go to hell. That's, that's ridiculous, that's not what it's about. Uh, we're so glad to have you here and we're so stoked to have you here. And if you wanna talk about following Jesus, awesome. And if you don't wanna talk about following Jesus right now, great, we're like, we're stoked you're here. Like there is no, if somebody's giving you side eye or some sort of judgy look, that is actually not representing who Jesus is or what we're about. And if you are a Christian and you're hearing this and you're feeling uncomfortable or like guilty because the Lord is maybe like bringing something up in your heart that you know is wrong, this is not me putting the hammer down or running some slight like, religious guilt trip on you. This is an invitation to get that burden off of you. To con- We're called to confess. Like, so tell God. Get prayer at the end of the service. Uh, tell someone in your community group. Uh, get prayer from one of the pastors here. Like, we aren't meant to carry around these burdens by ourselves. We all need to confess our sins because we are all going to blow it. We're all going to continually blow it. And if you're con- convicted of sin, just confess, look to the Lord, remember your identity. You're not condemned, you're forgiven. You belong to him, and he loves you. So, live as citizens of our true homeland. Remember who you, whose you are. Live as citizens of heaven. And, you know, the world doesn't like holiness. It, uh, we will be persecuted, right? Sometimes people may persecute caricature you. Sometimes, oftentimes, people will tempt you. Sometimes people will fall silent in awe because, honestly, seeing holiness, like seeing actual holiness is beautiful. It's amazing. I think holy people I've known, like people are just like, whoa, there's something about this person makes me want to feel close, closer to Jesus. It makes me feel like, wow, what? They're just like shining. You ever know somebody like that? There's like something shining about them. They're shining with something imperishable while all around us are perishable things. And we need this Holy Spirit for that. We can't do it We can't do that by ourselves we need each other which brings us to this love one another love one another from a pure heart we're told here and you know people can think of spirituality sometimes as being detached from relations being detached from relationships detached from people there's like that image of a hermit up on a mountain and that's what somebody who's holy looks like like they're not around people they're just meditating all day that's not jesus jesus showed us how it was to truly be human and he lived among people God came close to us. And Jesus did spend time alone with his father, like, communing there. But Jesus spent a tremendous amount of time. He lived his life out with other people. And this letter, when you just look at the New Testament, there's just so much warmth. You know, people can think, like, spirituality is, like, chilly and icy and aloof. And that's not biblical Christianity. There's so much love here. And we're actually told we're adopted into a family. We're brothers and sisters. So we love God, and we love people. That's what we're called to. So... The chapter ends with a quote from Isaiah 40, and I just wanna read that here. A voice says cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of Yahweh blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of God will stand forever, and we get to stand with him as beloved, as holy, as accepted, as cherished, as precious in His sight, the Lord loves us. He loves you, He ransomed you. He knew you specifically as you're hearing my, my words. He knew you before the foundation of the world. He wants to be with you, He wants to live life with you. He wants you to live the way that you were supposed to live as a human. That's like, that's what's best for you. He loves you. So the question is now, as we're getting ready to wrap up, how do we respond? How do we respond? So if you're hearing this, I mean, if you haven't already, trust in Jesus. Uh, when, As we pray, I'm gonna like pray a prayer that you can pray along with me in your heart or out loud or whatever you want. You can come up with pray with somebody if you want. But trust in Jesus. Receive that new identity, it's that simple. And whether you're a new Christian or you've been a Christian for a long time, all of us are called to consider our lives. To consider our lives and seek to honor the Lord as holy And practically, what that looks like in our lives is being in community, living lives with others. We're not supposed to live in isolation. It's toxic. It's toxic on a variety of levels, and it's toxic for our relationship with God. So be in community. Live, like, openly with others. Have people who know you and know all the stuff about you. Confess your sin to God and others. You know, communion, which the elements are here on my left and my right, and then gluten-free back there. Communion is a time to consider your sins, to see what the Lord brings to mind, to repent, repentance, just like turning to him, like, I'm sorry, Lord, I look to you, and turning again and again to Jesus and what he did on the cross. He loves you. We turn again to the victory that Jesus already accomplished for us, the identity he's already forgiven, he's already given us. You know, I just think it's so much, so much life is just remembering who you are. It's just like waking up. You kind of, we all keep kind of falling asleep, and it's just, oh, that's who I am. That's who I am. And we need his spirit live holy lives. We need a spirit to like, be citizens of that kingdom, or to represent him. So in our prayer time, like, in our worship time, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and use you and change you and sculpt you the way he made you to live. And remember, he's a good God. He made everything good. Everything good comes from him. He's not gonna like, take you on to some like, sort of joyless religious trip of holiness. He's actually gonna make you to be like his son, and that is good, that is really good. We're ambassadors of a deathless world, and it's a better world, and we're called to live lives of holiness and joy as a representative, as a foretaste of that different world. So I'm gonna pray, the worship band's gonna come up. Lord, just thank you for your goodness, your holiness, that is good news. And Lord, I just pray right now for all of us, you would just give us a glimpse of that, of the love you have for us, of the sweetness you have for us, of what holiness actually means, Lord. Just wanna pray against any way that this might be mistaken as condemnation or anything like that. It's not condemnation, but I do wanna pray that for conviction, the things we're convicted of, we would respond, Lord, in confession and just throwing ourselves again and again into your arms because you're there. You're gonna catch us. You love us. You've already done all it takes. You've covered us. I thank you for that, Lord. And if you're listening, and you want to give your life to Jesus? You know, as I'm praying this, you can like pray this along with me. Something to the equivalent. And and actually, if you're a longtime Christian, there's phrases here that'll pop out that are things we can all perpetually pray for ourselves. Just saying, Lord Jesus, I admit I have sinned against you, and I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness and the redemption you brought about on the cross. I believe in you. I give my life to you. Please cleanse me and make me new. We trust in you, Lord, as our Lord and Savior, and we want to follow you. You're the son of God who lived, died on the cross, rose from the dead on the third third day, and now you're interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. You love us. Thank you for who you are, for forgiving us, for giving us the gift of life. Come into our lives perpetually, Lord, we pray. Give us of your spirit more and more. Just fill us, guide us. We belong to you. Amen. Hey, friends. This is Russ Lacey, one of the pastors here at Door of Hope Southeast. Thanks for listening to this teaching. We always want to encourage you to give to your local church and would never want to supplant that. But if you're a regular listener and would like to help our church as we seek to point people to Jesus and minister here in the city of Portland, we'd welcome your prayers and financial support. Just head over to doorofhopepdx.org and click Give from the menu bar. May God bless you.